welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. Can you open up a Bible with me if that's all right? Uh, we are continuing our series on the book of Acts. It's our third series on this book already, and uh, we're in Acts chapter 16. In this series, we are calling, of course, uh, Tales of the Table. And we're saying that the most powerful gathering of the early church was never the temple, it was the table. And it's around these thousands of meals that people got to know what it means to follow Jesus, where people got filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that the barriers of, of background and ethnicity and economics and all these things got broken down. And this is where the church became this global movement for good. And if those early tables could tell their stories, man, imagine what they would say. And we're saying we've got the same spirit in us. We've got the same love of the Father over us. We've got the same good news in our hearts. And therefore, what can our tables begin to tell, especially in this new year? I want to say to you today, as we kick off, that maybe you feel, man, it's, uh, it just feels like it's another day, that I need it's another year, it's another month, it's, I just have to jump into it. And maybe faith-wise, specifically, some of you feel, I, I kind of feel stagnant a bit. I, I'm not sure if I have this expectation for growth and change and, you know, making strides in my faith. It just feels like, cool, I'm going to, it's another innings, get a single, that's fine. Or maybe you've got people in your life, maybe a friend or a family member, a colleague, a dad or a, a child, maybe that you feel, man, I, I've trusted for years. It's been seasons that I've really trusted for this person to be impacted by the good news of Jesus. And it just hasn't happened. And I think it's so easy to, to go into this new year with that almost like, ah, it's fine. I'll, I'll probably see some cool stuff here and there in Jesus this year. I guess I'll pray a bit more for that person. And I don't want to take anything away from the emotions you're experiencing, especially on the 1st of Jan, because there's a lot of emotions, let's be honest. My eyes were burning on my way to the building this morning. But I want to say this, if you take one thing away from today, just in our time, just in the presence of God together as His people, that it'll be this, that I want to ask you, I want to invite you, implore you, that you would set your eyes on expectation in this year for God to do incredible things in your faith. Some of the character things you feel stuck in and have felt stuck in for seasons that God would absolutely shift those mountains this year. That you would see massive growth in your faith, massive growth in your, in your character, massive growth in your love for Jesus, in your understanding of your identity in the Father. And even maybe for those people around you, maybe that dad or that friend or that colleague or that neighbor, and you're not at all in the place of giving up on them, but you're saying, man, I, I'm just not sure it's ever going to happen. That significant step closer to Jesus. Can I ask you to set your eyes on expectation to the God who loves, who specializes in rewriting the stories of people? And that this year would be a significant chapter in your faith story. That this year would be a significant chapter in the people in your sphere. And that we would hear incredible stories of that. So open your Bible with me as we're going to see exactly that take place. The God who rewrites and continues to write stories in Acts 16. 
let me illustrate. So, 1995, uh, Pixar releases Toy Story and absolutely changes the whole face of animation and movies made for kids, because here you have a movie that adults and kids like equally, and it's funny and it's edgy and it's, it's so great. It absolutely changes the face of the animation world. But do you know that this story that we love, this kind of buddy cop you know, interplay between Woody and Buzz Lightyear, all of that great stuff, we almost didn't get any of that. Because Pixar tells a story that they had to almost bring significant rewrites to the story to get it to where it is. Originally, um, under the influence of some of the Disney executives, they said we need to go dark and edgy with this movie. And so the original script, we had Woody actually as this massive ventriloquist doll, and he was the villain of the story. <laughs> and he kind of ruled over the toys with an iron fist and oppressed them. And there's a moment where he actually tries to throw Buzz out of the window to kill him. And then all the toys rise up against Woody and they, in a twist of fate, kind of they throw him and irony out of that same window and ends his life. Do you think that if that is the Toy Story that we got, do you think we would have the Pixar that we have today, we would have the legacy of Toy Story today, but it was a story of revenge and, you know, payback and despots ruling over toys? I think the answer is pretty obvious. And it's only after significant rewrites to the story that we got this, you have got a friend in me kind of goodness that we got in it. And I want to say that I believe absolutely in my heart that God is far from done rewriting your story. And He's far from done in terms of the stories of those people close to you. The story cannot only still change significantly, it will change significantly. Can you set your eyes expectantly in this year? Not on what you can do, not on your shoulders, but can you put your eyes expectantly on God and His ability to rewrite for His glory and for the good of the people around us? Let's read stories exactly like that today together. So we get some on the mission trip news from Paul and his companions. It says in verse 13, Acts 16, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river. We were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman gathered there and a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatira was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, then come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And so once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation, are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. And so Paul was greatly annoyed. And turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. And when our owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews. And they are promoting customs that are not legal for us Romans to adopt. And the crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrate stripped of their clothes and they ordered them to beat them with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they threw them in the jail and they ordered the jailer to guard them carefully. But receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was this violent earthquake. The foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and he saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and he wanted to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because we are all here. The jailer called for lights, he rushed in, and he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and he said, so what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And right away, he and his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Isn't that powerful stuff? Three stories of three very different people and their stories were far from done. The God who specializes in, who delights in rewriting the stories and continuing to rewrite the stories of people. He had plans for each of them and He has a plan for you, He has a plan for our church and He has a plan for those friends, colleagues and family members in your life who do not yet know Jesus. So what does that look like? Because you say, man, you don't know some of the people in my life. The hardships, the hardness of heart, the, the doubt, the struggle, the way they've been hurt by people of faith in the church. You don't know the stuff that I've been facing in the last while. I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to get over this hump that I've been struggling in, in my character, my faith. Can I show you that God loves working with unique people in unique ways? Three things I want us to just to see in this passage and take heart in what God wants to do in your life. Let Him speak in His Holy Spirit just today into your heart. The first thing is we need to realize and we see it in this passage that every person in our city, every single person has a unique story. A unique story. You've got a unique story. The last chapter of your life has been a unique story. See, here we have Lydia. We have this slave girl and we have this jailer. And can I tell you, they are radically different people with radically unique stories. They were radically different ethnically, economically, even spiritually. They were very different people. Let's look at that. Ethnically, they were different. Lydia, we are told, was from Theatira. So that's in Asia Minor in Turkey. So she was of Asian descent. The slave girl was most probably a native Greek. And then you have this Roman jailer. We know he's Roman because all the good civil service jobs was given to all these retired kind of military men. So ethnically, you have an Asian, a Greek, and a Roman. It's almost like a bad joke, you know, an Asian, Greek, and a Roman walk into a bar. That's exactly what you have here. These people were so different in background. But not just ethnically, economically, they were different. We, we see here that Lydia, it says, is from Theatira, and yet she has a house in Philippi. So we know historically, and Bible scholars will tell us that she was an incredibly wealthy and powerful, affluent, influential woman. She was a powerful businesswoman who'd made enough money to have both a house in a kind of home region and in the space where a lot of her business was taking place. So she had made a lot of money in the, in the kind of dyed industry. 
And that was almost the HQ of that was here in Theatira. So almost a modern analogy to understand who this woman was. She would be like the CEO in the fashion industry in our kind of parlance, in our language. And she's so successful. Yes, she's got this very upmarket kind of little space here in South Downs. But her house is actually in Cape Town, the nice one. And then she's got like a beach house in Mflanga. That's like the kind of lady that we're speaking of here. And then you have the slave girl. If, if Lydia is like powerful economically, she is powerless. <laughs> I mean, she's actually oppressed economically. She is literally a slave. And then you have the jailer. He's not nearly as successful economically as Lydia is, but he's not nearly as a mess as the, uh, the poor slave girl is. So he's almost like, in, again, in our language, he's like the blue-collar, middle-class, retired soldier living in a two-bedroom place in Kharsfontein. That's like his, his deal. So if you imagine these people out on the town on a Friday evening, this is what they're doing. Lydia's eating at Old Town Italy at Mainland, Maine. That's what she's doing. You have the slave girls. He's almost like a, a, a young abused prostitute who's pimp who probably beats her up. He brings her McDonald's whenever she's really hungry. And then you have the jailer who's on a Friday evening just drinking at a local pub. Those are the three kind of characters we have here. They never see each other. These people never cross paths in the real world. They're different economically and they're different spiritually. What did Lydia need for her to find God? It's, we see a woman who wanted study, who wanted reflection, who wanted a rational kind of understanding of who God is. And yet we see in this passage that for some reason it almost was like she was empty because she had achieved something that very few women in her time could and that was a massive breakthrough, success in the business world. And yet it says that she was also, what, a worshiper of God even though she was a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. So what this meant is worshippers of God in the New Testament were non-Jewish people who said, I'm going I'm to step away from my pagan kind of religious roots and I'm going to start seeking this God of the Jewish scriptures. So they would start meeting with Jewish people. They would start listening to the Jewish scriptures. They would start interacting with the Jewish people and, and start trying to obey this God of the Bible. So she used to be this kind of pagan worshiper and now she's this moral, kind of religious, I have it all together person, successful in business, and yet she's seeking, she's empty. The slave girl, she doesn't need some kind of rational argument. Um, she needs the spiritual encounter. She needs something that goes straight to, I mean, she can't even have a, a conversation with you, so she needs something that goes straight to the heart. It says here, once we were on our way to pray, verse 16, and it says, a slave girl met us and had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And it's because the translation of the Greek, just kind of as straight as you can, would not make a lot of sense, because it would almost say something like, we met a girl with spirit of python. <laughs> That's what it would say in the Greek. So yes, snake python. So what literally they would be saying like, we met a pythoness. That's like what we met here. And the reason for it is in Greece, in Delphi, one of the main city centers, there was this very famous ancient temple of Apollo. And they believed that the, those who worked in the temple, they could predict the future. And the, the, the housing, the, the entrance of this massive, massive temple was guarded by this big snake. And so people believed at that time that when you came upon a person like this, like this girl who is manic and speaking in all these voices and making all these predictions, they believed that they had the spirit of like the snake, the python in them. And of course, with her strange behavior, her parents sold her into slavery. They didn't know what to do with a girl like this. 
And so her new owners, they used her for economic gain. They would let people come and ask her questions and then they would have to pay to receive the answer. So she was not seeking rational discussion about, you know, the God of the Jewish scriptures. She was in torment spiritually. She was in deep pain. Her history was full of brokenness and trauma. And then you have the jailer. He's like the bulk of our city. He, he doesn't want necessarily a, a rational discussion and he doesn't really care for emotional like engagement and stuff in church would really put this guy off. He doesn't want to go to church. You would not find him in church. That's not the way you're going to reach him. So Lydia, you see, she actually, she knows a bit about God, the God of the New, you know, of, of, of the Old Testament, the God of the Jewish scriptures through the Bible because she's been going to these people and you see that this the slave girl, she's coming to understand something about God through the spiritual realm that she's engaged in. But the jailer is just disinterested. He's like, yeah, I don't really care for that kind of stuff. I'm not going to church on the 1st of Jan. That's like the very last thing I could ever see myself doing. I'm just not interested. You've got maybe people like that in your life. My life's already falling apart. It's, it's pretty fine, really. I just don't really care for this God stuff. Did you see that these people are completely different? ethnically, economically, spiritually, everything about them is different. Just like you, just like the people around you, just like the people of our city, each has this unique story. And yet, second thought, yes, each of us have these unique stories and yet God comes to rewrite each of these stories. He loves doing that. This is the very heartbeat at the center of our universe, seen and unseen, as a God who pursues people, who specializes in rewriting stories that have gone off track, rewriting stories that are filled with pain, with disinterest, with hurt. Stories that feel like they've come to a standstill. My faith used to be something passionate in my heart and now it's just kind of meh. God loves writing and continuing to write stories like that. But once again, we see here, He does it in completely different ways. Look at how He reaches each of these people. With Lydia, what does He do? He comes to her through her mind. To the slave girl, he doesn't come to her through her mind. He comes to her with power to reach her heart. And with this jailer, it's almost like he shocks him to new life by showing him a changed life right in front of him. Can't deny that. So what does he do with Lydia? He says, I'm going to reach you through your rationality, through your mind. So Lydia was trying to understand the Bible. She was trying to figure it out. So she's praying and she's worshiping with these Jewish people. And what does Paul do? Paul pitches up to one of these gatherings. And it's almost like she had understood at that point that I, I think I'm, I'm meant to obey this God. I think I'm meant to follow this God. And as she's reading about the Jewish scriptures, she probably realizes as well, but, but I also see this thing of sacrifice, that there's this substitution that takes away the sin and the brokenness that I experience, the emptiness. There has to be something or someone that can substitute for me. So I've tried paganism and now I'm trying to be moral, to be good, to be, you know, walk the straight and narrow, use my grit to do it. And then Paul comes and he speaks. And what does it say? It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And that Greek word there, proskeo, it means literally to get it. <laughs> it means to apply your mind to something, to consider something. It's almost like the Holy Spirit, she, she is in this conversation with Paul, this discussion. She, they open the scriptures and the Holy Spirit just makes her get it and suddenly the emptiness is gone. Suddenly that thing that was eating out of this, this hyper-successful, affluent woman 
this deep emptiness, God speaks through her mind. He comes to engage her and the emptiness leaves. I think Paul probably said something like, Lydia, you know what? Every, you've been reading the scriptures. Every prophet, every priest, every, every king, every hero, every mighty warrior, every suffering servant, every slain lamb in these Jewish scriptures, they're pointing to Jesus. They have been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled the Jewish scriptures. He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that was, that was to be yours. And He is the Redeemer that all of this is pointing to. And the Holy Spirit lets Lydia just get it. And the emptiness is gone. What did God have to give her? He had to give her a Bible discussion, arguments, evidence. And her life was changed forever. But the, this poor slave girl, it's the very opposite. She doesn't need some kind of rational Bible discussion. She needs power from God. That's what she needs. So Paul doesn't say to her, let's sit down, let's discuss, let's you know, go through the rationality of belief in God. Because she's wild. She's shrieking and making these voices and saying to them, verse 17, these men were proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. So it's almost like she has this insight into the spiritual realm. In some sense, mentally, she understands that God is the way to salvation. She understands that. And yet, it's almost as if she knows God is the one, but she hates Him. She despises God. Why? Because she has been serving under and oppressed by an evil taskmaster internally. And that's led her to be oppressed by evil taskmasters externally who abuse her and use her. What kind of God would allow me to fall into the hands of this kind of situation? She probably knew that God was, he was meant to be the, the way, the, the place of salvation and rest and peace, and yet she hates him. And so what does Paul do? Does he say, let's sit down, let's discuss, let's argue? No. He confronts the bad master. He speaks to the Spirit and He says, you are not more glorious than Jesus. You are not more powerful than Jesus. He confronts the Spirit and by the power of the Spirit, she sees that Jesus is the glorious one. He is the Holy One. He's the powerful one. And in a moment, the powers over her are just broken. And she's released just like that. A spiritual encounter directly to the heart. An authority encounter. She didn't need like a safe little Bible study. She needed power. And her life is changed. The story begins to be rewritten. And then you have the jailer. <laughs> he didn't need arguments and rationality. He didn't need this, this power encounter. He's too practical for that. He needs to see it in front of him. He needs to see the effect of this faith stuff. So what actually happens is when the slave girl's owners, when they realize, listen, our whole like money-making scheme, our NFT kind of blockchain thing is done. We're not going to make money off of this anymore. They actually incite this racist riot. So what do they do? They say, yeah, these Jews, verse 21, they are promoting customs that are not legal for us Romans to adopt. And so this racist riot breaks out. They're beating them. They're imprisoning them. And though they explicitly tell the jailer to look after these people carefully, what does he do? He tortures them. 
You're like torture. Where did you find that? Yes, he tortures them because it says he put them in the inner prison and he secured their feet in the stocks. This was a form of torture because these stocks were made so that your feet, the two places your feet would be fastened and were split as wide apart as possible. So your legs were actually forced into this position of, of cramping and your ligaments are getting pulled and torn. It was excruciating. Why is he doing this? Why is he torturing them? No one told him to do that. Well, maybe he's also racist. Maybe he's just a former Roman soldier, so he's a hard, brutal man. Maybe he's trying to impress his superiors. Who knows? But he tortures them. But then God confronts him in two powerful ways. The Roman jailer sees these men that he's been torturing. He sees them that evening doing what? Singing and praising during the night. He's never seen something like this. Here are people that in spite of the circumstances they find themselves in, they have a kind of joy and an identity and a peace that's even deeper than the circumstances they find themselves in. And you're thinking, man, where does that kind of joy come from? Where, where does that kind of identity come from? Well, it comes from having a successful life, having a successful career. But if your successful career is taken from you, your joy is gone. It comes from having a healthy body. Well, if your healthy body starts to deteriorate, your identity is gone. It comes from having a spouse that, is, that stands by your side. Well, that person cheats on you. There goes your, your whole foundation. No, it's, it's, it's sexuality, it's status, it's money, it's career success, it's, it's living in the right city or house. All those things are, as we often say, good things, but not God things. They're not heavy enough to carry the weight of your soul's identity and purpose. So he's asking himself, man, what is going on here? Everything has been taken from these men and yet they are in a place of worship and singing. He's never seen something like this. People whose joy and identity is so deep that not even their circumstances can take it from them. And then the most astonishing thing happens. When this earthquake breaks open literally the chains of those in prison, it was the law of the land, of course, that for someone like him, put under his care, if these people escaped, his life is done. And when the chains were off and everybody was out, he was astounded. Why? Because instead of all of them fleeing, he finds Paul and Silas keeping the law, upholding the law. They're like, no, we are here and everyone else with us. He tortures them and they repay him in kindness. They defeat evil with good. And he's never seen something like this. This man doesn't need, you know, deep arguments. He doesn't need this power encounter. He's too concrete and practical. He says, I want to see this stuff working. And here he sees something that he's never seen. People whose lives in the real world, not you know, churchy Sunday, you know, Mamby Pamby people, but genuine people in the trenches of real life. I've never seen that. I do not have that. And his life has changed. So lastly, what am I saying to us, friends? I'm saying, yes, your story is unique. And yes, I know that the background of your story and the future of your story and those people that you're trusting for who have not yet 
met Jesus in a powerful way. Yes, they've got unique baggage and unique traumas and unique doubts and, and issues. But I'm telling you here that God knows. He specializes in. He's like Liam Neeson. He says, I've got a, I've got a specific set of skills and I will find you. That's what God does. He says, I've got a specific set of grace and truth and joy and hope. I love finding people, changing their stories, finding them exactly where they are and rewriting until it's done. So lastly, what does it mean? It means, yes, every person in our city, as unique as they are, even me and you, we need the same thing. We need the same thing. And that thing is actually a who. <laughs> it's not religion. It's not committing this year to start going to church more often and swearing less and you know, drinking not as often with your buddies. We don't need a thing. We don't need a system or a philosophy or more religiosity sprinkled over our lives. We need Jesus. We need Him in truth and rationality. We need Him in power. We need Him in concrete example. Our faith can't be something that used to be exciting. It needs to grip us again at the beginning of 2023. What could this Jesus do in my life again? Because as different as each of these people were, actually they're exactly the same. Yeah, superficially, their life's very different. But each of them are what? They are slaves. Slaves, you say? That's strong wording. Yes, slaves. Because why does the jailer actually try and commit suicide? Man, that's strong. Other places in the Bible, you see Roman soldiers having people escape from their care, and some of them run away, some of them wait to be executed. But this guy actually tries to take his life. Why? Because he is a slave to duty. And the thing that gave him identity and worth, when that was taken from him, life is literally not worth living anymore. Lydia has everything she's ever wanted, hard, grafting businesswoman, and yet she's empty. She's a slave to something that she's not able to stuff into the, the hole that's somewhere deep inside of her. Some of them were slaves to duty. Some of them were slaves to the demonic. Some of them were slaves to satisfaction and not getting it. When I get the power, when I get the influence, when I get these things, I'll be happy. And yet it was not happening that way. See, the Bible says you're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to something. <laughs> because each of us have to, we have to follow something. We have to serve something. And here's the thing. If I serve anything other than the Master Jesus, those things will end up breaking And what the jailer saw here in living flesh was he saw people who did not have their hope and identity in something, in their circumstances, in a life put together, but they had their identity and their hope. They had it in the only master that even if you fail him, he forgives you. And if he finds you, he will absolutely wreck your life with joy and love and identity and authority. That's the only master that if He becomes the master of my life, it's all different. So can I say that it's the 1st of Jan, people. So it's time for New Year's resolutions, right? It's time for people to renounce alcohol and exercise, you know, embrace that and hobbies picked up and all of that. And some of those things that you're planning to do, they will be forever. They're going to stick forever. And some things like saying, I'll never eat dessert ever again. 
Um, that's probably going to last until this afternoon. I know that. There's a little tongue-in-cheek prayer that goes, Dear Lord, so far I've done so well this year. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, overindulgent. I'm so thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. Friends, the answer for an expectant set of eyes this year is not to look to yourself. Not your track record, not your past, not your willpower. But to look to the God who loves to rewrite and continue to write. Can we trust Him today? And can you trust Him for your life and for those around you? Let's pray together.